welcome back to the Dante's Divine Comedy Podcast. Hope you're having a great morning and a great day. I am Richard and I will be host in this episode. And we're going to talk about a big topic, which is themes in the Lord of the Rings and how these are reflected in the Divine Comedy with Dante. So this is going to be um, kind of a Tolkien special on this podcast, uh, primarily because there's so many deep topics and there's also uh, so many parts of the story that are drawing from the theology, and then we can see how it's expressed in Tolkien, but also how these are expressed in the comedy. So, first of all, we also want to say that we, we've we been watching the Lord of the Rings movies again, uh, something like 15 years after the first time, and it's kind of stunning how different they are this time, and how many things you can see in the works if you've been uh, reading and studying and going into the deep of the Divine Comedy, because they are both drawing from the Catholic theology. Tolkien was a, uh, a practicing Catholic, and then we'll see how this is uh, kind of a, a source, a kind of a wellspring of ideas and uh, also inspiration and wisdom and beauty in the works. So we just want to say first about Tolkien. So there's a very famous quote from him in his letter to, um, to uh, Robert Murray, where he writes... The Lord of the Rings is, of course, a fundamentally religious and Catholic work. Unconsciously so at first, but consciously in the revision. That is why I have not put in or have cut out practically all references to anything like religion, to cults or practices in the imaginary world. For the religious element is absorbed into the story and the symbolism. So that's sort of the framing for how we're going to look at the Lord of the Rings now in this episode. And it's also, uh, it's helpful, it might be helpful to note that it's not, um, a, like the Lord of the Rings is not a Catholic story by any means, but many of the elements are drawing from theology, which also makes it much deeper in some sense, much interesting, and the allegories are, are uh, kind of much richer in many senses. So, with that first quote, we're going to now look at many of the topics first in The Lord of the Rings, and then we're going to move to the Divine Comedy afterwards. And then we're going to sum it all up towards the end. So we're just going to go through this list there. The first thing that stands out, or one of the many things that stand out, is the journey in itself, the idea of the journey with Frodo, and then how Tolkien puts in the dates that... The Fellowship of the Ring, they leave Rivendell on December 25th, like Christmas Day, and then the ring is destroyed on March 25th, which is the day of the Annunciation with Virgin Mary, and also the day of the Crucifixion, the day when sin is, uh, is destroyed or atoned for in the Catholic uh, theology, and also then when the ring in the Lord of the Rings as a symbol of sin in itself is then finally put into the into the, kind of the glowing lava of Mount Doom. So that's one part of the journey. There are more parts of the journey in itself, kind of this idea of, of pilgrimage or kind of a, 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 like the, the work towards a sort of uh, salvation of sorts. You also have three different ways of looking at uh, humanity in the Lord of the Rings exemplified with the characters of Gollum, Boromir, and Faramir. So Gollum 
could be seen then as the symbol of sin in itself, like being addicted to sin or vices, if you want to use more secular language, mistakes, if you want to use the original meaning of sin in the Greek word. Um, so he, Gollum is the one who is being corrupted and, and uh, kind of devoured by, by his mistakes, by his vices, by his bad moral choices that will, will uh, damage himself. So that is Gollum. Boromir is the repentant. He is the purgatory symbol in many ways because he tries to take the ring and then afterward, afterwards he, he regrets this and he has this kind of confession towards the end, kind of when, he, when he's about to die with Aragorn, where he, he confesses his sins and asks for forgiveness. And then that is given by Aragorn uh, with his words and this final kind of kiss in when he dies. So this is also then Aragorn doing the, the kind of, the, he's doing more of the Christ figure uh, kind of actions in this scene. Uh, and then uh, Faramir is more like the paradise, the saintly person. So those are the three things, which already we can see very clearly reflects the structure of the Divine Comedy with the three books. And then we have the ideas of providence and grace and helpers. That you need the conviction of help that will be coming. And then here we have... Uh, this comes from very often from Gandalf himself when he talks about things that might happen that are going to happen. And one example of this is from, from the Lord of the Rings when Gandalf is saying, behind that there was something else at work beyond any design of the ring maker. I can put it no plainer than by saying that Bilbo was meant to find the ring and not by its maker, in which case you also were meant to have it. And that may be an encouraging thought. And this is repeated so many times during the whole story. And just to say what like providence in this, uh, in the theological sense is so one of the definitions uh, is that it's the protective care of the divine or of nature as a spiritual power. Like you can find the trust in the divine providence to be a source of comfort. Also, uh, that the divine or nature is a providing protective care. And sometimes it's also something, uh, it has an aspect of intervention as well sometimes. So this is uh, present many places in the Lord of the Rings. And then nature of evil, which is a very big topic in Lord of the Rings. Uh, one thing that is standing out is the idea that you cannot destroy evil with evil means. So this is the, this is the problem with what Boromir wants to do. He wants to save his city through using the power of the ring, but through using evil power. And the problem is that if he does that, he will become evil and then the city will become an evil city. And then it's, it's, this is kind of the mechanic of it, that then the city will be lost. So this is a, it's a very big topic about that you, you can't use evil means for a good cause because the actions will then corrupt you and it will change you into something evil. There's also the, the idea of the corrupting nature of sin, which is then very clearly with Gollum, it's, it's kind of gradually with so many of the characters that they are more and more drawn, they're more and more affected by the sin. Uh, 
And this there's a nice touch also that the invisibility through the ring is something, you could see this as something like that you are, like the power of the sin in itself, that it will take control of you. So this is a very, very ancient thought that you become a slave to your sins, a slave to your passions, that they control you and they possess you suddenly. And you lose your, your, your freedom of choice, your free will, and, and you become addicted. So the invisibility is in some ways... You can see this as deleting yourself. Once you put on the ring, once you go into the sin or the or the vice, you as a person will be temporarily uh, at least kind of the invisible or deleted. And the whole idea of the addiction is very strong. Uh, it's very clear in Lord of the Rings, and we'll get back to this uh, very clearly in the Divine Comedy as well, with the whole second dream in Purgatory. Then we have the topic of resurrection, which is very clear with Gandalf. You have the idea of sacrifice. Also, many times with Gandalf, when he's on the bridge and he, he's fighting the Balrog, he is sacrificing himself for the fellowship. Uh, also here with the conviction that this is necessary and it's also that there is some providence uh, kind of hovering over all of this. The idea of hope is also everywhere and this is repeated constantly in in Lord of the Rings, and it's also a very big topic in the comedy, especially in the beginning with Inferno, where the loss of hope is the definition of kind of this eternal, timeless uh, Inferno and pain in the first book. Then you have the virtues of pity and mercy. Pity more as the the sense of the Italian pietà, which is more like compassion uh, and, and kind of loving, uh, loving sympathy and compassion for someone who needs help. This is something that's important that they show towards Gollum. Both Bilbo and Frodo are doing this. And it's very important because there's an idea here that the path to changing things for the better will come and grow and arise out of the virtues. So in addition, you have this idea that Gollum is necessary for the final point that to be able to, or that no person will be ever able to actually throw the ring by themselves because the power is too strong. The power of sin is too strong for like humanity to overcome it by themselves. So there has to be some other dynamic working with, then in this case, Gollum. But it's also something that that is important that they have kind of these forces of good in them when they are uh, kind of moving along in the story. So, uh, and to say something about this in terms of virtue is also that the virtue infects the action and it permeates all the consequences of an action. This is a very deep and kind of secular thought as well. You can think of this karma also, like if you do something with, it's not always like the intention, it's not always uh, kind of the consequence, but uh, if, it's a, if it's a true and, and the right virtue, then that will be uh, kind of carried through the ramifications and like how this you see this in the story then how this is uh, kind of it, it creates f- consequences far into the future that are necessary for the whole overall movement in the story okay then we have just a few more uh, very, with Lord of the Rings here Virgin Mary she's very important uh, she is also you could s- see her as an idea so many places in the story um, you have it with um, uh, like with uh, the invocations to Elbereth and then also Galadriel uh, the Lady of Light. You also see it when Aragorn is standing 
in front of the statue of his mother. That's very much kind of this uh, Virgin Mary um, idea or or kind of this veneration that is very strong. It's also something that Tolkien himself uh, lost his mother when he was 14 years old, so he had this this very strong veneration and, and love and admiration for his mother. So that's also something that you could see in in many of, especially visual and cinematic, how you can see uh, several, especially with uh, Galadriel, how she is pre- presented. Okay, two more things. Humility is very strong as well, like they keep going, there is a bigger plan. You see this especially in Gandalf, that he, he, uh, especially in the first part of the story, has a humility that he does not know, he's not sure, there are bigger things than him, and then he, he's, he keeps doing what he then perceives to be the good, but he knows that there are things beyond him. And then the final point with salvation, the idea of overcoming sin, is also an overarching topic in the whole Lord of the Rings. So, uh, which then happens towards the very end. Okay, so that was the list with the Lord of the Rings. And now we're going to move on to the comedy and look at many of or almost all of the same topics and see how they are expressed in Dante's cosmology. So, we have uh, the notes here with (laughs) the three canticles of Divine Comedy, Inferno, Purgatory, and and Paradiso is the main structure of the whole work. They're also bound together as kind of, of, of unity in, in the idea of Dante. Uh, the journey with the pilgrim is also obvious from the very start when he's in the dark forest and then towards the final page where he has this final ascent and unification with the divine. The providence in the divine comedy, you have, uh, for example, in, the ga- in front of the gates of these in Inferno, kind of the, the, after the fifth circle, they come to, like inside of Inferno, they come to the city of the underworld and the gates are closed and they can't get in, uh, Virgil and the pilgrim. And then an angel suddenly comes from out of nowhere and this is the first kind of really intervention providence uh, feeling, except from the first two contos, where forces from the outside come into the story and this person then just has a wand and then opens the door, looks at the demons and says, and shakes his head and, and says, I don't understand why you even bother. You know, this is not going to work. And then he, he turns around. He doesn't look at the pilgrim or Virgil at all. He doesn't talk with him. He just walks back, walks on water. Uh, and as Dante describes it, as a person whose mind is somewhere else. So it's this touch of, um, and kind of uh, evoking the idea of, of intervention and grace and providence. So, more with the grace, this is very important in the comedy. Both the opening and the ending is about grace. Uh, you have Beatrice, which is, is the manifestation of it in, so, like in the whole book. But it's also how it opens with the, the event that starts the whole Divine Comedy is that Virgin Mary is up in the heavens and he sees the pilgrim in the dark forest, what he describes in the first Tercet. So she, she sees him and then she gives a message to Lucia, kind of light, and then Lucia talks to Beatrice, and then Beatrice goes down into limbo to Virgil and says, Can you please go up and and pick up the pilgrim and then take him on a journey through 
the underworld and through the Mount Purgatory. And then she will take the last part up to the highest heavens. So that's like the, it's the beginning, the igniting spark in the story is the grace from Virgin Mary. And also in the very last chapter, she is the one that gives him the ability to have the final vision into the divine light and then uh, kind of piercing deeper and deeper into the light, into the source of the light, and then finally having this, um, like the full vision and then the understanding and the unity with the divine. Also, as it says in the story, that Virgin Mary is also giving him the ability to endure this experience so he can go back, like Dante, like the pilgrim, can go back back down on earth and write the whole story and tell the story of what he experienced, which is another important thing there. So so the, the Divine Comedy is all kind of enveloped in the idea of grace. Then you have the idea of the beyond. Uh, it's also everywhere in Dante. The divine light, the divine will. Also, you can see it in the, how the sun is shining on the first hill in the opening. Okay, nature of sin. The second dream of purgatory. This is very interesting. So he has a dream. We're going to read a little bit from this now. So it's when he, the, like in the middle of the mountain, when he has the dream about the siren or this hag that changes into a siren, this is a way of, ex of expressing how we are projecting beauty into sin, into the monster ourselves. So there's a lot of psychology in how this is described with Dante. So he says here, uh, there came into my dream a person stuttering, cross-eyed, stumbling along on her maimed feet with ugly yellow skin and hands deformed. I stared at her. And as the sun revives a body numbed by the night's cold, just so my eyes upon her worked to free her tongue and straighten out all her deformities gradually suffusing her wan face with just the color love would have desired. So this is a way Dante is, is describing how we are projecting something sparkling, glittering, blinging in the sin, which is really a monster. So it's, it's, uh, it's the effect of our eyes upon it that changes it. And it keeps going. And once her tongue was loosened by my gaze, she started singing, and the way she sang captured my mind. It could not free itself. So here you have the addiction. You can think of Frodo here and many other characters in Tolkien. Like they, they hear the song, they, and they lose control of themselves. You, you lose your freedom. I am, she sang, the sweet siren. I am, whose song beguiles the sailors in mid-sea, enticing them, inviting them to joy. This is a reference to Homer, like the Odyssey. My singing made Ulysses turn away from his desired course. Who dwells with me seldom departs. I satisfy so well. This is the voice of, of sin in Dante's comedy. like the, the monster of sin and people who get addicted will seldom depart. Her lips had not yet closed when there appeared a saintly lady standing at my side ready to foil the siren's stratagem. So this is important as well. Something, there's something crucial happening here because he's now in the thrall of, of the addiction of the sin, like in his, his short dream here. And then 
he's going to sh- Dante's going to show us now how you get out of this. And therefore, you have a saintly lady. And then what happens next one is, Virgil, oh Virgil, who is this? She cried with indignation. Virgil moved toward her, keeping his gaze fixed on that noble one. He seized the other, like the monster, ripped her garment off, exposing her as far down as the paunch. The stench pouring from her woke me from sleep. So this is how he gets out of it. So he's using then rationality, like Virgil here, as reason, but reason can't free him from the addiction by itself. This is one of the most crucial ideas in, in the comedy. Like, this is showing the limitations of reason and rationality again. So that's why Virgil has to look at this saintly figure, something beyond, something something stronger, like and then sort of a grace again, that can help him uh, expose and rip the pilgrim out of the grip from from the addiction. Okay, so that's uh, that's this, this part about the the nature of sin. And then, nature of evil, this is the whole inferno with Dante in many ways, uh, especially the ninth circle. It's interesting that the, the ninth circle is frozen. Uh, it's a bit different. Like the ideas of sin in Dante is, is uh, expressed in different ways than in Tolkien. But there's something about the immobility of, of the evil that is interesting in, in the final circle of the inferno. Okay, resurrection. This is also nice <laughs> with the... Uh, with the transition from Inferno to Purgatory, because they go down into Inferno. The story starts the night from Thursday to Friday, to Good Friday. So this is the first day. Friday is the first day, then into Inferno. And then he's there on Saturday, and then Sunday morning, that's when they uh, emerge out of the mountain of Purgatory, and they once again see the stars, and they start on on the climb and and the, the part of learning about the virtues and, and changing. And this is then on the third day, so there's a motive of resurrection in itself when you get to purgatory. And then sacrifice, this is a bit complicated in the comedy. The sacrifice is very easy to see in Tolkien, but in the comedy it's a bit more elusive in some sense. But you could say that the idea of sacrificing your free will is one of the main the main topics, the main suggestions that this is the way to 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 learn and to to get a more happy life and for freedom in itself is actually to sacrifice your free will in the sense of seeing the free will as your freedom to choose in life. So this is another fundamental part of the comedy that you choose. You're not condemned and judged and put into infernal paradise. You you choose it through your actions. So it's a mechanical consequence of your own choices. And you have the free will, the free choice to make your your choices and your actions. So the idea here is that you what you do is that you gradually understand more of the kind of the divine realities and then and the divine will, and then you align yourself with that because you gradually discover that there is, is uh, truth and beauty and, and wisdom in it. And then that's a way of kind of you giving up your um, your ability to choose in some sense by just learning more about the eternal 
external things in, in life and the world. So then you are uh, in one way sacrificing, but you're also then gaining the full freedom of a good life. So uh, you could also say on a meta level, you can say that Dante is doing his, he is showing sacrifice through his own life work in many ways. Like he, he is devoting himself fully to writing the Divine Comedy, which you could see as a sacrifice in itself. Okay, so hope. Hope, as we mentioned before, is the opposite of the nature of Inferno. So it's implicit in saying that when you remove hope, you are lost in the Inferno. And then you get it back again in the opening of Purgatory with this beautiful tercet about for better waters now, and then they're sailing into better waters with this little boat of his... Uh, his uh, ingenio, which is kind of his intellect or kind of his, his uh, spirit. Mercy is spelled out everywhere in the comedy. And there's one very interesting part of this, which is about changing your own life for the better. So one of the way mercy is described is that you always have the, uh, the possibility, the option to change your path for the better, for virtue. No matter how much, how many mistakes, how long you've been in the vice, you could always, one morning, wake up and choose another path. It will take maybe a long time before your life changes and things get better and the consequences will start to manifest in your life. But the, the option is always there. You could always, in your mind, inside of yourself, choose another path. So that is seen as one of the, kind of, the biggest parts of mercy in itself. And then pity... You see this, like Pietà, you see this with Dante and the sinners in countless places. It's constantly that he's crying, he's feeling bad for, for the sinners, both in Inferno and those in Purgatory who are doing the, the work to kind of atone and, and balance their, themselves and learn about their, their mistakes, their mistaken ways of thinking. Virtue is the definition in itself of Mount Purgatory. It's uh, seven terraces, but the whole idea is it is a mountain of virtue, very much drawn from Aristotle, the ethics. And then you change through virtue, you grow through virtue. And then at the top of the mountain, you have become kind of a virtuous person where things become your character and then they become automatic. Uh, okay, so just a few more points there. The free will is a huge, very big topic again in the comedy uh, that we choose. We have the freedom to choose in life and it's the biggest gift that we are given and we can also then give it back to the divine, aligning ourselves with the divine will. And this is what happens on the very last page of the comedy. Uh, it's the very last uh, tercet as well, when he has the big vision, and then he can't really understand all of what he's seeing. And then he finally, he has like a great flash of understanding, uh, and his, uh, his wish is uh, suddenly granted. And then at this point, power failed high fantasy, but like a wheel in perfect balance turning, I felt my will and my desire impelled by the love that moves the sun and the other stars. So this is the full unification with something beyond, with the divine, and that his will is now suddenly in perfect balance turning with this will. So that is how it all ends in the divine comedy. With the implication that he's also going to go back and write the whole book. So... Uh, Mary is everywhere in the comedy, uh, especially also in the final moments when she's, she's giving the grace. She starts and ends the whole comedy. Grace and providence is also everywhere. Humility is also the, the definition of the second book. 
This is the, the climb of the, of the mountain, and it's also the key virtue to be open-minded and to be able to start the process of learning anything. Like before you can start to learn something, there has to be some acknowledgement that there are things you don't know and that you have something to learn. And then final point, salvation, the overcoming of sin, uh, the idea of, of purgation, penance, hard work, purification, and then you ascend is also, especially the last two books of the comedy. And also you can think salvation, salvare is like, uh, salute is health. There's something about saving or making healthy your soul that's embedded in that word. Okay, so that was all <laughs> the topics, the items we had for first the Lord of the Rings and then the Divine Comedy. So we're just going to wrap it up with some overall thoughts here. Uh, so first of all, Tolkien is drawing heavily on the Catholic theology. In his own words also, uh, of course, a fundamentally religious and Catholic work. So, but the elements are more everywhere in the story. They are absorbed in the story. They're not, uh, you have references to things, but, but none of the characters are fully taken out of any theological framework. Uh, so in, co in contrast to that, you see that Dante is in many ways, that is much more uh, uh, obvious or explicit Catholic work. He's in many ways defining a Catholic theology, also with some, some Eastern uh, elements like uh, more orthodox eastern orthodox elements um, and the story is about salvation liberation and exodus for Dante so the journey to happiness also in the earthly life and towards paradise so both the works are using story as a vehicle to express these topics and the embedding of of story of the poetry or this this epic story could then embed an enormous amount of wisdom and beauty and deep thoughts. So, but just to reiterate this one point, at the face of it with Lord of the Rings, he just writes a story. So that's important to underline here at the end. So then, final summary here is that we can see through reading this that just getting to know these two big stories, kind of epic stories that, there's something about how theology or let's say spiritual philosophy in more secular terms can go so much deeper and be grounds for themes in story and poetry, which sometimes just makes them resonate through time in a, at a much deeper level. You can see other epic stories like uh, another favorite with the Game of Thrones, fantastic epic, but it is different from the Lord of the Rings in this, in this aspect because the, the driving force in Game of Thrones is more more power politics. It's more kind of violence and power politics. Uh, it doesn't ha tap into these theological uh, themes in the same way. Uh, as a good friend commented this week as well, that when they do good things in Game of Thrones, it's more with a, of a practical intent. It's more for the utility than any conviction that the forces of good are, uh, are kind of an aim in themselves. So also with these kind of stories, you can plant seeds, ideas to ponder that will kind of linger in the minds of people for years and years and years. They can be a nutrition for growth and for wisdom and for spiritual wisdom. And with this wisdom, we want to end with just a quote from Gandalf, which stayed in the mind for a long time. He first says to Frodo that after defeat and respite, the shadow takes another shape and grows again. I wish it need not have happened in my time, said Frodo. So do I said Gandalf, 
and so do all who live to see such times. But that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given us. So that's going to be the final words for this episode. Uh, hope some of this has been interesting and uh, a little bit of, of uh, maybe some new ideas and perspectives on both the stories of Tolkien and of Tante. And hope you're still having a great day. And as always, thank you so much for listening and see you again in another episode.